Welcome to Design 30. My name is Jason Bilyeu, and in this podcast, I provide design strategies and tools to improve creativity, innovation, and overall design confidence. Today, I want to talk about two concepts that aren't really related uh, any more than the fact that they both start with an F. And so those two concepts are forgiveness and framing. And I know what you're thinking. Uh, isn't this a design podcast? We're talking about forgiveness. It seems a little unconventional. Uh, and framing, maybe you think of that as uh, how you build a house, framing up a house, woodworking. Uh, you probably understand how framing could be more related to design, but forgiveness, you know, may that one's a little bit more confusing, but as soon as I dive into this, you're going to totally understand, uh, how it's applicable to design. So those are the two topics uh, for this episode, and I'm pretty excited to dive into both of them. But before we do that, I just want to say, as always, please, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to it, rate the podcast, and send it to people who you think would also enjoy it. And of course, you can find Design 30 on multiple platforms. Go ahead and give me a follow on Instagram, Twitter, on threads, and you can become a subscriber to the Design 30 Substack if you want to read a little bit more about design rather than just listen. All right, enough of that. Let's dive into this episode. So let's start with forgiveness. And again, this is uh, on the topic of design. So you're probably asking yourself, okay, forgiveness, where are we going with this? How does that relate to me as a designer? How do I implement forgiveness into my design? And I think you're going to, once I dive into it, you're really going to understand how this is very much applicable to design. Uh, but first, I am referencing this from the book uh, Universal Principles of Design. It's a book that I've referenced a lot. Uh, I, again, it's, it has all of like these bite-sized ideas and uh, principles that I think are really interesting, really helpful to give you a, a brief uh, top-level, high-level understanding and then allows you to go from there and, and dig into more detail if you want to. They also reference a lot of studies, uh, things like that. So again, I can't recommend this book enough. Please go out and buy it if you haven't already. It will be linked in the show notes for this episode. So it's easy for you just to go uh, get a copy for yourself. Uh, so today I was reading through it and I came across this topic of forgiveness. And the authors say... Forgiveness is, or forgiveness in design, uh, it relates in this, in this manner. Design should help people avoid errors and minimize the negative consequences of errors when they do occur. Human error is inevitable, but it need not be catastrophic. Forgiveness in design helps prevent errors because, or before they occur. It minimizes the negative consequences of errors when they do occur. Forgiving designs provide a sense of security and stability, which in turn fosters a willingness to learn, explore, and use the design. Common strategies for incorporating forgiveness in design include uh, number one, good affordances, number two, reversibility of actions, and I'll go into a little bit of detail on each of these uh, to give you a little bit more, a better understanding of what they're referring to here. 
Uh, number three is safety nets, four confirmation, five warnings, and six help. So again, that list real quick, good affordances, reversibility of actions, safety nets, confirmation, warnings, and help. So these are different ways to incorporate forgiveness into your design. So as a designer, why do you want why do you want to incorporate forgiveness into your design? Well, as I said, it provides this sense of security and stability. It makes it feel like a better design, especially I think one of the easy examples is an app. Uh, if your app, you know, you don't accidentally delete all of your data or it doesn't go and delete all of your photos, for example, without warning you. Uh, it just gives you a better sense of security in the app and a, just a better overall experience or better user experience. And it also gives you more confidence. It gives you more confidence to use it and use it more often. And it gives you more confidence to share it, have other people use it. Overall, it's just this user experience is enhanced because there's a certain level of forgiveness designed into it, which takes a lot of, of work in the background, it takes a lot of work as the designer to embed and design in forgiveness into that app, so or into whatever design you're working on. So the first example is good affordances. And in the book, they describe this as physical characteristics of the design that influence its correct use. And they give the example of a uniquely shaped plug that can only be inserted into the appropriate receptacle. So this way you can't fry uh, some piece of electronics that you're plugging in, right? You can't plug it in backwards or upside down. Uh, there's only one way to plug it in. So it only affords being plugged in correctly. And the other example that I would give on this is you think of a pot that you have on the stove or perhaps a water boiler, things like that. Uh, I have this water boiler that the whole body of it is made out of stainless steel, but then it has this little handle that comes off and that's made of cork. And that handle affords grabbing, which uh, is where they want you to grab, right? If it was made out of stainless steel as well, the handle's gonna get super hot and you're going to burn your hand. So designing in this good affordance of grabbing this thing in the appropriate location is a way of designing in forgiveness. That design is helping you minimize errors. It's helping you minimize danger. So that's uh, so a couple examples of how affordances can be used to improve the forgiveness of your design. Another example I was thinking of is, uh, so in terms of this reversibility of actions, sometimes you click the wrong button, you do the wrong thing, you you uh, press the wrong button on your microwave. You want something that uh, potentially allows you to reverse your actions. And an example of that is nowadays, a lot of your documents are saved on the cloud, right? So your software is constantly saving different versions in the background. But you might accidentally delete a whole bunch of, you know, let's say a whole bunch of text in your document that you all of a sudden realize, oh, shoot, I didn't want to delete all that. And what the cloud does is it already has all these versions saved. So you can actually go back to a previous version that has all of that information. Uh, a lot of the time you can do this with control Z. Uh, but if you'd already closed the document and then opened it up later in the day, 
you probably can't control Z, right? You can't undo. But thankfully, since it's all being saved in the background and it's automatically creating these different versions, you can go back to a version that you already made. So problem solved. So that's a good example of forgiveness being built into a product that is accomplished using reversibility of actions. And then some other common ones that you're probably also aware of are probably popping into your head right now are these confirmations and warnings. You often see this, again, working with your computer, your laptop, your phone. If you go to delete something, your phone is going to ask for a confirmation. Is that actually what you wanna do? Do you wanna permanently delete this? And then sometimes uh, if you delete a file, it goes into another folder, delete it, and then if you wanna delete it from there, it warns you. It says, hey, if you delete this now, it's gone. There's no way you're ever gonna get it back. And so that, those are examples of confirmation. So you're confirming that you're actually doing what you want to be doing. And then there's warnings of, hey, here's the implications if you go forward with this action that you're trying to take. And then finally, there's also help. And this is just providing information on the basics of operation and on troubleshooting, uh, things like that. Or some nowadays, often you can have like a instant messenger a help desk that you can reach out to or of course, there's always emails and phone numbers. So that's how you can build uh, or use a, a help tab or you know a help uh, instant messenger, something like that to also help provide uh, forgiveness with your design. And you might be saying, okay, yeah, this, this all makes sense. Those are good ways to uh, you know, make your design more usable. But which ones, if I'm trying to push myself as a designer, I'm trying to optimize my design, what should I really focus on? And so there's three of these that you should really focus on first if you're trying to optimize your user experience. And those are the first three. You wanna have good affordances, you wanna have reversibility of actions, and then you also wanna have safety nets. And I didn't really dive into safety nets much, but this is, it's a device or a process that minimizes the negative consequences of a catastrophic error or failure. So this could be a backup system for your computer. So all your files are being backed up to maybe an external hard drive. And so if your computer totally crashes, you know, it goes kaput, the thing's broken, you still have all your files and documentation there. So it's a catastrophic issue, but there is still some forgiveness built into it. It is saved somewhere. Uh, the other example that they give in the book is uh, a pilot ejection seat in an aircraft. So maybe the pilot makes a terrible mistake for whatever reason, and the plane's gonna crash, at least in this scenario, they can hit their ejection button and still survive. So it's a way to avoid this catastrophic problem or, or potential danger. So these are the three that you want, good affordances, reversibility of actions, and safety nets. And so why, do, why are these the top three? Why do these help improve uh, usability? Well, with confirmation, warnings, and help, there's this aspect, it can be kind of annoying actually, if you're constantly doing something that you always have to confirm, yes, I wanna do this, yes, I wanna do this. That's actually a really negative user experience. You're having to click a lot. Uh, it's just, you know, you're always having to second guess yourself. And if you have to embed a bunch of warnings into your design, essentially what you've done there is you've made your, uh, whatever your product is, too uh, dangerous in a way. Like every, it's always warning, oh, are you sure you wanna do that? Cause this might happen, are you sure you wanna do that? This might happen. You're allowing the design itself to just be too dangerous that you're always having to warn the user that they're about to do something bad. And then finally, if the user's constantly having to reference the help section, 
that also is a good indicator that you haven't, you know, utilized good affordances. Uh, you haven't made it obvious how to reverse their actions. Sometimes people go to the help section, like, okay, I accidentally deleted this. How do I get it back? Uh, so you want to make those designs obvious and easy to use. That's how you make your design more, uh, you know, how do you improve the forgiveness of your design? And so the authors of this book end this section by writing this. Create forgiving designs by using good affordances, reversibility of actions, and safety nets. If this is not possible, be sure to include confirmations, warnings, and good help system, a good help system. Be aware that the amount of help necessary to successfully interact with the design is inversely proportional to the quality of the design. If a lot of help is required, the design is poor. So there you go. There's a good piece of advice right there at the end. If if a lot of help is required for your design, that's a pretty good indicator that your design, it's not ready yet. It's not all that good. So that's how you design and forgiveness into your product or whatever it is that you're developing. But now let's move over to this concept of framing. And again, like I said, there's not a ton of connection between these two, um, but they were both topics that uh, just kind of hit me today as stuff that I thought were really interesting and really useful ideas, you know, principles of design that are worth uh, talking to you guys about. And like I've said in the past, this podcast, the whole point of it for me is to, as I'm learning about these new ideas and concepts and trying to implement them in my life as a designer and a, as an engineer, I also want to provide them to other people. I think they're they're useful and helpful and interesting. And I want to be able to provide that so other people can can kind of learn alongside me. I'm not trying to approach this as I'm this expert that knows everything about design and you need to listen to this podcast so you can glean from my infinite wisdom. It's definitely not like that. I'm also I'm just trying to pass on this this information that I think is useful and beneficial. And many people don't have the time to read all these books and listen to all these podcasts and these long form podcasts, you know, whatever the case might be, you know, you might have children, uh, you might be working long hours at your job, who knows? So I'm trying to take this information and distill it down right into these, you know, these bite-sized episodes there. I try to keep them under 30 minutes every now and then I go over. Um, but that's the idea, right? I'm trying to take this, these useful ideas and information that I'm reading about anyways, right? A lot of this stuff at this point in my life, I have the time to invest in learning about these things. So just trying to package that and provide it to other people. And hopefully it's something that you find useful. Uh, it's something that you can implement in your life, uh, in whatever type of work you do, or if not, it can also just help spur you to think, uh, or to, to research these ideas. It gives you that little, little nugget to start with, and then you can go down your own, your own rabbit holes with it. So with that, let's move on to framing. So again, this is the same book, Universal Principles of Design. And they say, a tech framing is a technique that influences decision-making and judgment by manipulating the way information is presented. And then they go on to say, framing is the use of images, words, and context to manipulate how people think about something. Information can be presented in such a way as to emphasize the positive, e.g. glass is half full, or the negative, e.g. glass is half empty. 
The type of frame used to present information dramatically affects how people make decisions and judgments and is consequently a powerful influencer of behavior. News media, politicians, propagandists, and advertisers all commonly use framing, knowingly or unknowingly, with great effect. So this is something that we're all probably very likely aware of, right? We all understand the way that the news frames things. We understand how things are framed on social media. And we all understand how the way that's framed impacts the way we see that topic. It impacts the way we see that problem. And sometimes we actually don't necessarily realize that though, as we're reading it, it can be kind of the subconscious thing where that headline pulls us in because it's this negative big problem. And it's kind of almost addicting to read those things, right? And then there's other things where it's framed where this is a huge positive. This is a great thing. And so you read that headline, you're like, oh, I need to learn more about this. This this must be a really important, good thing to know about. And so that framing, it plays a big role in how we understand a lot of topics, especially today, the way we understand a lot of uh, these conversations, whether they're political conversations or medical conversations or whatever the case might be it frames, the way it's framed, it really, uh, it makes a big impact on how we understand that topic, right? And none of us can be experts in everything. So we're all subject in whatever field we're, we're reading about, whatever topic we're reading about, we're all very subject to this idea of framing and how the issue is being presented to us. And so that's, that is an aspect of design. The people writing these articles are coming at it. There is a design to it. They know that they need to design the headline in such a way as to draw you in. And then they need to design the first paragraph or even just the first sentence in such a way that keeps you reading, right? So, and there's, there's a lot of skill involved with that. And that's, it's one of the reasons why I say, you know, design isn't just engineers. It isn't just architects. It isn't just graphic designers. You can use these ideas of design in almost every single job or workplace you you can think of, right? There's different ways to implement it in all these different fields, uh, all these diverse ways. So framing is a huge one, obviously, for news, for media, for social media. Uh, like they said, it can also be used by advertisers. Uh, all marketing, obviously, is framing is a huge design technique used by marketers. So it's really important for us just on a day-to-day basis to understand uh, framing, just to be aware of it. And then also if you're a designer and maybe you're trying to market your new product that you just came up with, you need to be able to understand how to frame your uh, your copy or what you, you know, your articles, your headlines, your website, uh, the copy on your website. How do you frame that to get the correct response from the people who are going to see it, from the people who you want to buy this product? So that's something that is worth spending a lot of time on your own, just understanding the psychology behind framing. But I want to give one example of this uh, from another book that I have that I've been really enjoying reading. I don't read it that often. I just kind of every now and then I'll, I'll, I'll write, read a bite, bite-sized uh, portion of it. But that book is called 10 Global Trends Every Smart Person Should Know. And so this is a book by Ronald Bailey and Marion L. Tupi. And it's really interesting because they talk about these trends in ways, they frame them in ways that many of us aren't used to, right? 
So many of us are used to the media framing things in these negative, uh, catastrophic, uh, kind of, you know, just these ways to get eyes and get clicks. But this book comes at a lot of these trends from a very different perspective. And they're actually talking about these positive trends that are going on in the world. I mean, imagine that, right? Positive trends. Who knew, who knew that there was good things happening in the world? But that's what this book is about. And it's something I should, I should make more podcast related as, cause it really is, uh, it's really good to know. <laughs> it's really good to know about the good things happening in the world. Uh, but one of the examples I want to give on framing is this section that they have on clean drinking water. And so they say, uh, at one point in this section, according to the world health organization's estimates, 361,000 children under the age of five died in 2015 because of inadequate sanitation and lack of access to clean water. So right there, you can see that that's a headline right there, right? Like 361,000 children under the age of five died in 2015 due to inadequate sanitation or lack of access to clean water. So that's the kind of headline we're used to, right? Just this crazy number, this really sad statistic. But then in this book, they go on to say, much progress is nevertheless being made. Between 1990 and 2015, access to improved water sources rose from 76% of the world's population to 91%. That amounts to 2.6 billion people or over a third of the world's population. Put differently, 285,000 people have gained access to clean water each day over that period. So here's two different ways to frame this problem. You can frame it as how many children died in 2015 due to a lack of clean water, or you can frame it as how many people from 1990 to 2015 have gained access to clean water from 76% to 91% of the world's population. So you could have this headline saying 2.6 billion, 2.6 billion people have gained access to clean drinking water in the last, what was that? 25 years. So here's a way to clearly illustrate this idea of framing, right? You can frame it as, oh, there's hundreds of thousands of people have died, or you can frame it as, hey, Billions of people have got more clean drinking water. And this, in a lot of ways, this really impacts the way the reader responds to it. It impacts the way you respond to this issue. And now going back to this principles of design book, uh, you can see, or they describe this, this effect in a lot of detail. They say, positive frames tend to elicit positive feelings and result in proactive and risk-seeking behaviors. Negative frames tend to elicit negative feelings, resulting in reactive and risk-avoiding behaviors. Use framing to elicit positive or negative feelings about a design and to influence behaviors and decision-making. Use positive frames to move people to action and negative frames to move people to inaction. And so this is where, I think this is the part that really hit me in thinking with what we're confronted with all the time again, on social media, from the news. And so much of it is negative. And here they're saying that research shows a lot of this negative framing actually moves people towards inaction. And that's the exact opposite of what I want to do with what I talk about on this podcast. And it's one of the reasons why I end every episode with this phrase of design more, despair less. Because in my mind, 
that the design, it's, it's a mindset. If you have a design mindset, it's inherently action oriented. And if you have the confidence in the ability to start with this design mindset, with this design thinking mindset, you're going to be much more likely to move towards action, not inaction. And so I want to, I really want to push the positive side of things. I want this positive framing because I want to encourage action, right? So many of these issues that are facing uh, the world and different countries, whether, you know, you name it, you go from climate change to like, this was talking about uh, clean drinking water, sanitation. There's so many, you know, big problems with the world. There's so many things that are potentially problems with the world that we need to address in some way, shape or form, but they keep being framed or they're often, no, not always. There are positive articles out there, but they're so often framed in this negative way that just drives people more towards despair. And when you're despairing, you're not acting it. It's in action, right? You're just, it's so big and overwhelming there's nothing you can do as just a single individual to, you know, to save the world from climate change. If that's uh, the thing that's maybe driving you towards despair, there's nothing you can do to save all these people who don't have access to clean drinking water. That's such a hard problem, right? Like there's nothing, I don't know anything about water. How am I supposed to change that? So I just, I really don't like this, the negativity that is pushed because I think it drives people more towards inaction. And I think, Often the idea behind it is, well, we need to tell people how big of a problem it is that they will do the right thing. They will stop doing this or they'll donate to this uh, group that's providing clean water. And, And sometimes that's true. But looking here again, like this negative framing actually is used more to drive people towards inaction, right? It's something... Uh, well, a good example of that is uh, look at you know illegal, dangerous drugs like uh, opioids or meth, things like that. Those are often or always framed very negatively, right? Because you want to drive inaction. You don't want people to use those drugs. That's very dangerous. And then think of all the marketing marketing you've seen for these different products. That you know when companies want you to buy their product, they're not framing it negatively, right? They're not just saying, oh, this, uh, our competitors are so bad, all these terrible things. No, they talk about how good what they're offering, how good their product is, how awesome it is. It's this positive framing because they want to drive action. They want to drive you to go purchase it. So one of my goals with this podcast and what I'm doing with Design 30 is I want to drive people towards action uh, and that action is designing. It's having a design mindset. It's having confidence in their ability to come up with creative solutions, confidence in their ability to come up with new ideas that are capable of changing and improving the world, right? You know, it's it sounds lofty, but at the same time, like all of these big innovations that have come over the history of humanity have come from people, individual people. They're just like you and me, right? So there's this confidence that not many people have. They see these huge problems and it's just, it, again, it just drives despair. And that's the opposite of what we need if we actually want to address them and want to solve them. So that's why I, I want to talk with this idea of framing. I think it has pretty big implications. Obviously, you can use it just to sell products, which uh, I'm not trying to minimize that. That's really important, especially, you know, you're a small business, you're trying to, you're trying to get off the ground, you're trying to make a living. 
but it also can have, I think, these really big impacts on us as individuals and what we're willing to act on and what we're not willing to act on. And if you sum that up over enough individuals, it has this huge impact on the world and what we're willing to do on a global scale, what we're willing to act on, what we're not willing to act on, and what we believe we actually have the ability to change. So kind of summing that all up, as this podcast progresses, one of my goals is to positively frame a lot of these issues, these ideas, these thoughts to drive you towards action. I want you have the ability to do big things, right? And I'm talking as much to myself right now as I am to whoever's listening to this. It's it's hard to really believe that, right? But the more you work on your abilities, the more you work on your skills, the more you gain confidence in your ability to solve problems, I, I think the more you're going to act, the more you're going to take on bigger problems, the more you're going to try to come up with a solution to these issues that drive a lot of people towards despair. But if you can be one of those people who it doesn't drive towards despair, but rather it inspires confidence and it inspires, you know, the sense of adventure, like, oh, there's this huge problem that, you know, it looks impossible. It looks like a daunting task. It looks like this adventure might be doomed from the beginning, but that should be more exciting, right? Because that's going to make such a better story. If you have the story of this someone, some hero solving just a little problem, that's not a good story, right? We want You want to have those big, tough, difficult problems to address, a real adventure, something where the odds are not at all in your favor. And yeah, so that's that's the kind of confidence I hope eventually this podcast can inspire in people. It's this this, I want to drive people towards action. I want you to, to lean towards action, not inaction. Lead towards design confidence, not despair, not this thought that there's nothing you can do to solve these problems. So I'm just going to go about my life and think about me and my little world. You know, it's trying to shift this mindset to these things that seem bigger than you, but you actually have the ability to do something about. So I'm going to leave it there for now. I'm going to get off my uh, my soapbox. And yeah, I hope this was an interesting episode. I hope it got you thinking a little bit. I uh, hope you learned how to implement forgiveness into your designs and how that's actually a really practical way to improve the user experience. And then also, I hope you thought a little bit more about this idea of framing. Uh, maybe just kind of refresh this idea in your mind and you're going to see how it's used in the world around you. I mean, look at when you're on social media today, when you're reading through the news, think about this and think about how these thoughts and ideas and issues are being framed and being presented to you. And what feelings that actually brings up inside you, does it make you more eager to act and to do something or does it make you less eager to act? Does it drive you towards inaction? So that's all I have for today. I hope everyone has an awesome Monday. And as always... Remember, design more and despair less. Thanks for listening.